Good morning, and as you make your way to your seats, um, would you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to the book of James, if you would. For the sake of our guests, we are, uh, we're taking the next few months to walk through the book of James to hear the wisdom of God and its insight into our lives. And last week, we heard an excellent word um, about receiving the word, which is able to save our souls. And this week, we'll hear about the importance of doing the word. Last week, hearing the word, receiving the word, and this week, actually doing it. So we hear it, and we do it. Because hearing without doing uh, amounts, as you know, to nothing. It's of no value to us if we hear the Word of God, but it doesn't find its settling point in our lives, in our day-to-day lives. So James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to his original hearers, even as the Lord intends for us to hear this afresh, as if written to us ourselves. So we're going to read verses 22 to 27, and as I read the Word, I, let me remind you that this is the perfect, inspired, authoritative Word of the Lord. But be doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious... It does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Lord, we have just been addressed by you, and my goodness, we need your help. I don't think there's anyone in this room who would say, oh yeah, I I perfectly obey, I do the word of God all the time. No, not one of us does that. And so, Lord, we confess this morning that, that we're weak, that we need your help, and so we ask for it. Um, And we ask a God who is not begrudging to give us help, but actually, in fact, eager to give us help this morning so that we might do the Word of God and reflect you and honor you and glorify you. So, Lord, in these next minutes together, help us to focus, help us to pay attention to your Word, and help the Word of God to change our hearts from the inside out, that we might gladly obey it and please you in all things. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of us, perhaps as a kid, uh, said to our mothers, yes, mom, when she asked us to do something? Uh, Maybe this will apply to some of you this morning. I don't know. Um, Maybe when your mom says, hey, can you please take out the trash Can you clean your room? Might you perhaps mow the lawn and you say, yeah, mom, only to have your mother, your sweet, dear mother. I see pinching going on in the room uh, right now from mothers to sons. Um, Only to have your dear mom come back to you like mine had to uh, time and time again, maybe a second, third, fourth, fifth time and say, "Um, remember about the lawn? Remember about your clothes? Uh, I do remember my mom asking me once, like, are you, would you please comb your hair this week? And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Um, oh, for the glory days when you didn't care about a thing and you just didn't care and didn't do, as your mother said. Here's the point, you get it. Like, hearing without doing is fruitless, right? 
it's worthwhile. I mean, it's, it's not worthwhile. It doesn't, doesn't help anyone. It just gives lip service. And, and who wants lip service? So about 20 years ago, I was a pastor in another church, actually here in Souderton. And, and I, we had a, my senior pastor and I had a lovely administrative assistant. She was a nice lady, but she wasn't very effective at getting us to fill out her forms. You know, we would always, she would say, can you please fill this out? And we'd like, yeah, yeah, let me put my books in the office or whatever we would say. But we never got around to it. So one day she staged her own protest. You know how in, in John, how Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Well, she put a big poster on her desk and we walked in, it was bright yellow. And she said, if you love me, you'll fill out my forms. Because you can say, oh yeah, yeah, I'll do it all you want. But if you don't actually get around to doing it, it doesn't do any good. This is the very point James is driving home. He's like, you know, hearing is one thing. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, so great. Hearing is one thing, but the doing is where we put feet to the hearing. And so hearing without doing is nothing. Point one, simply this morning is this. Put your hearing, your faith into action. Put your hearing, your faith into action. Let's read again verses 22 to 24. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. James here explains the foolishness of examining ourselves in the mirror of God's word and then not doing anything about it. Because when we look into the perfect law, the perfect word of the Lord, what we see is not only God, but we see a picture of ourselves. It reveals us. It cuts us to the joint and marrow the author of Hebrews says. It cuts right through us and it, it lays us bare. And, and so we see ourselves in the Word of God even as we see the Lord. But we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're doing something spiritual when we just hear the Word of the Lord. How many times has this been true for me when I've heard a strong Word of the Lord? Maybe when I'm out walking and I'm listening to a sermon like, oh, this is really good. And it is good. But it doesn't have effect in my heart until I actually do something and implement the truth that I'm hearing. If I just listen, but it doesn't change my life, it's not doing anything. This is what James is saying. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we're spiritually growing when we're not changing anything or doing anything with the truth that we've been giving. So hearing without applying is worthless. I was reading a book by uh, theologian Kent Hughes this week, and he used this illustration in his commentary. I thought it was worth repeating. He told the story of a business owner that was seeking to expand his business internationally. So he hired uh, an operations manager to keep his business going while he moved to Europe for nine months to get things going over there. And before he left, he said, hey, I'll be regularly emailing you with instructions and initiatives to keep things going while I'm away because I'm over there. And so he went, and this business owner did what he said. He was emailing back to his operations manager. He comes home nine months later. He walks into the office, and the whole office is in disarray. There's papers all over the place, crumpled on the floor. It's clear the vacuum hadn't seen the floor for nine months. People were playing hooky, or they were playing solitaire, or there was a party going on in the staff lounge at 10 a.m., And he pulled the operations manager aside and he said, hey, what's going on here? Did you not see what I asked you to do? And the office manager, I'm going to read this part. The office manager came and he said, oh, yeah, we got your emails. We got every one of them. In fact, we studied your emails every Friday night. We got into small groups and we we pondered the deep meaning and discussed the many things you wrote. Some people even memorized your emails. They're really great emails. And the manager said to him, or the the, the owner said, well, that's great that you read the emails, but did you ever think to do the emails? 
the point is taken. Hearing without doing, it really yields nothing. And when I consider my own heart, when I consider the soil of of what's inside here, I, I can be guilty of the very same thing. I, I might even study the Word of God and say, wow, this is so good. I might memorize it. I might gather around it. But until the moment that I actually do it, it's not benefiting me. Until the moment that I believe it and put that belief into action, it's not helping. In fact, I am being deceived. That's what he's saying. A church can be filled with people who are being deceived because we're not putting the Word into action. So don't be, let's make this pack together. Let's not be like the man who looked in the mirror and then forgot what he looked like. But look at verse 25. He, He gives us a vision of what this does, in fact, look like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So the one who looks into the perfect law is looking to see an accurate picture again of God because the word reveals God and his character and his nature, but also sees an accurate picture of himself because he wants to see more of God and he wants to change and grow where change and growth is needed. It's interesting, one of the commentators I was reading said that the, the word that, that James used for look in verse 25 is the same word that's used when Peter, on resurrection morning, goes to the empty tomb and he looked inside. It's the same word there to describe this looking. Now, when Peter went and saw the empty tomb, he was absorbed in what he saw, Right? He wasn't just doing some cursory glance. Oh, is Jesus in the... Oh, he's not there. Okay. And went on his day. No, he was absorbed in what he saw. It took hold of his heart. He was changed by what he saw. This is the point of what James is saying. A looking that isn't just a cursory glance. A looking for transformation. That it might grab hold of our hearts and change us. Not, not being a hearer who forgets but a doer of the Word. He no- notice how he describes the Word as well. This could be a sermon series in itself, truly. But he, he calls the Word of God, he calls it the perfect law and the law of liberty. And, and I just want to extrapolate that for a moment with you together. So, so what is the perfect law? The perfect law represents the full counsel of God's Word. He's not just talking about like the Old Testament because at this time... Jesus had come and Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. So this is all of the counsel of God when he's talking about the perfect law and the law of liberty. God's word, what does it do? It reveals to us, you know this already, it reveals to us his character. It reveals to us what what God is about. It reveals his nature. It reveals to us what is important to God. You know, the commandments, just take the Ten Commandments for a moment. Think about those. What what do they do as it relates to God? It helps us to know how to live, how God intends for us to function. It helps us to know that God is pure, that He is holy, that He doesn't lie and cheat and steal, that He he doesn't do anything. He doesn't bear false witness. Do you see? It reveals the character and the nature of God. So, When we see like the commandments, for example, we're seeing God. Alec Montier says it this way, In His commandments, the Lord has taken what is true about Himself and has expressed that truth in a rule for us to obey. So when we see the imperatives or the commands of Scripture, just understand that that is revealing something about God which we should cherish. Like when, when he says do not murder, it's because, because to live in a world in which there's murderous things going on all the time, well, one, first of all, we'd, we'd all be gone if we, if we didn't heed that, but, but the fact is God is the opposite of murder. He is the one who created us to, to flourish. He intends that for us. So when he gives any command that comes from the mouth of God, 
It's revealing something about God. It, it tells us about Him. And so when we say that this is the perfect law or the law of liberty, it's because God wants to set us free from something. He, he uses that, that phrase, the law, the perfect law, the law of liberty, because He doesn't want us to be bound by the shackles and the consequences of sin. See, when we go our own way, when we think we know better than God, and we say, Lord, you've given me this word, but you know what? I don't think you exactly know what you're talking about in 2023, so I'm going to go my own way. What we're doing is imperiling our own faith by not trusting in this perfect law of the Lord. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 19. I, I, just, I love Psalm 19. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect. And then look what it does to the soul. It revives us. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Like it gives life to us. Sometimes we, we can have this view of the Word of God as dull and boring and you know something that old Sunday school teachers like, you know, and it doesn't exactly relate to us. No, the law of the Lord speaks perfectly to us. We heard the word of the Lord this morning and, and if we have a spiritual pulse, we were encouraged together by the fact that God is on His throne and He is reigning and ruling and though things may be crashing in on our lives which we do not understand, we can trust God. We can trust His word because He never gives us counsel that's bad or wrong. It is the perfect law. It's the law of liberty. It's the law that wants to set us free from the patterns that enslave us. Do you have patterns in your life that enslave you? I have patterns in my life that enslave me at times. I want to be set free from the slavery of those sinful patterns. This is the word that does it by the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart. It's the law of liberty. He gives us freedom from sin. He gives us the power to resist and the power to say no. Freedom from sin and therefore freedom from sin's consequences. And this isn't always easy, right? Look, look what he says. Look, look in verse uh, 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, look at the next two words, and perseveres. And perseveres. Now, whose strength do we persevere by? It's not by our strength because we're weak. We persevere by the strength of God. Now, let me ask you, which is it harder to do? Is it harder to give in to sin or is it harder to resist sin? Well, obviously, you know the answer to that question. Anybody can yield to any sin at any time very easily. It's just it just kind of rolls off. It's so easy for us to resist sin. However, for us to not yield ourselves to something that contradicts God, something that, that goes against what God desires for us, that takes the strength of God, right? Some of us are in a battle right now because we find ourselves at times yielding to sin. And God says through this word, listen, this is the law of liberty. It's perfect counsel. When you turn to this word, he's going to give you all that you need. And I'm not saying it's as simple as just quoting a Bible verse and you'll be fine. I'm not suggesting it's that easy. I am saying he's pointing our eyes back to the word of God as the source and power for our lives so that we might persevere and resist sin. You know, my prayer for you is the same as my prayer for me. That in 2023, I would be, I would be more able, more easily able to resist sin than I was in 2022. That the Lord is growing in me a, a right desire to put away the things of the flesh and to take up the things of the Spirit in greater degree so that this time next year, I hope that I can resist sin all the more. You get it. That's my prayer for me as is my prayer for us as a church body, that we would grow in Christ-likeness, that we would, in fact, persevere. 
I know some of your stories right now. I, I've met with some of you even recently. I know that some of the struggles are difficult and the call to persevere is tough. This word promises something for those who put their hope in Christ, who trust in the perfect law of liberty and persevere. Look what it says, the very end of verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Do you see the promise right there? It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean it's just going to roll. It means that as you persevere, you will be blessed in your doing. He doesn't qualify what that blessing will look like. We don't need to qualify it. He's just saying you're going to be blessed as you persevere by the strength of the Holy Spirit within you with the power of the Word of God which always counsels you in the right way. You will be blessed in the doing. And I, I think some of us just need to hear that this morning. You feel like, man, I'm fighting, Jeremy. I'm, I'm really fighting. Well, you know what? When you persevere by the strength of God, you'll be blessed. You are being blessed in the present. Whenever we fight, whenever we take the strength of God and say, Lord, I'm not going to yield to that any longer. You know what it is? You're going to be blessed. You are being blessed. And I just want to encourage you this morning. If you're weary, the word says persevere in his strength. You will be blessed. Praise the Lord. I want to be blessed this morning as I persevere and fight against the sin that still tempts me. You have sins that still tempt you. Let us together with full eyes, with full engagement, continue to look into the law of liberty that wants to set us free from the temptations that we still yield ourselves to. Persevere in this because you will be blessed. See, God is, God is revealing, again, He's revealing His character here. He doesn't want us to be captives. He wants to set us free to liberty. This is His nature. His nature isn't to suppress us. His nature is to enliven us. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Do you see it? I think we need to be reminded the Lord is with us and He desires to lead us. So as we persevere, dear friends, here's, here's the point, by the way, of one of the points of care group meetings, of fellowship. Because as we meet together, one with another, you know what we, we're going to know? We're going to know a brother or sister might be struggling in a certain area. So when we come together in care group, and this is a care group week, and Thursday night I'm going to be in care group, and when we come together, we can encourage one another. We can say, you know what, brother, sister, I know that that's a struggle for you. In fact, I've been praying for you this week, and I just want to encourage you, the Lord is with you. And, and if there's a way that I can come alongside of you, help me to know that. Text me when you're in time of trouble. I'll pray for you. We're in this together. And as we persevere in faith as a church body and then meeting house to house in our small groups and our care groups, you know what happens? Growth happens. God's glory happens as we are refined together, as we persevere together, because we really do need one another to persevere, don't we? I was at uh, the Beckley care group this past week and just had a meal together with them. It was so wonderful to, uh, to experience all these young families with young kids and, and some singles there. It was, it was a wonderful time. And I came away so encouraged by the strength of the Lord that I saw in fellow church members because I saw them persevering in faith under hard things. I saw them praying and encouraging one another. I experienced the love of Christ as I had conversations. And this is, this is the point. This is why we do it. Because sometimes we grow weary in persevering. But God is encouraging us to persevere because there is reward. Now, James kind of turns the key here and he, and he shifts gears and he gives us three application points. So now we're on point number two of two points. Um, 
it's, it's three points of application um, because he just says, hey, look, if you love God, if your faith is authentic and sincere, then, then there are going to be marks of your lives that will reflect God's character. If you love God and if you desire to obey him, then, then you're going to reflect his character in a couple of different ways. You've been born again. Your heart's been made new. He's given you uh, the desire to follow him. Then if that's the case, then you will reflect him in all your ways. Um, Brian Chapel, just to extend this a bit further, Brian Chapel said this, when we understand that the law or the commandments are echoing the character of God and his care for us, then we delight to walk in that path because it lets us experience the goodness of our God. So, you know, often we can think of the commands of God as like, oh, all the things I have to do or all the things I can't do. Whereas when we think about the commands of God as echoing out, kind of refracting the glory of God, he's communicating to us through these commands. Like when we see how good he is, and we see these commands in that light, then, then we want to obey him. Then we want to do what he says because we know it's good. And we know he desires good for us. So, number one point of application, a controlled tongue. A controlled tongue. Look with me at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I mean, don't you want to meet James someday and just talk like, man, this guy shoots straight. There, there's no beating around the bush with James. It's like, if, if you don't control your tongue, you consider yourself religious and you just run off. Like, let me tell you, uh, that religion is worthless. It, it's, it doesn't mean anything. Because, here's the thing, no rogue word ever comes from the mouth of the Lord. The Lord never says anything but what is right and fitting. And so since we're made in his image and we're by grace conformed into his character, it's only fitting that we should reflect the way that God the Father speaks. Now, as God so often does, I had a real test of this last night because I was in the department store uh, and I was returning something and I was um, in a little bit of a hurry, and so I got in, and first of all, the return line was like I was uh, fourth in line. Um, so like, okay, patience. And, um, and the lady at the front, now I, I can relate with this lady, I'm not putting her down, but, but it was, I mean, I was standing there for 20 minutes as she melted down more and more and more with, with the, the, the guy at the cash register. Um, she didn't yell at him completely, but by the end of our time, he had to run off and go get some additional help because she was so angry, so angry. Now, um, there were tons of employees standing around observing this. I mean, like five, just kind of watching the spectacle. And, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, do any of you know how to push some buttons? Because you could come on over here and help us. Um, and finally, literally after 20 minutes, one of them did. And they helped one customer and some other. The guy who was being berated was the one who ended up helping me. And he saw me in line for 20 minutes. And he kind of had his head down when he said, how's it going? You know, and I said, I'm doing well. Now, this is a moment of grace, okay? I'm not trying to brag. It's just a moment of grace. I said, I'm doing well. And he picked his head up and looked at me. Because I don't think that's what he expected me to say. Because a few of the other people who had been waiting had also some choice words for how long we had to wait. I think you can relate to this, right? We all struggle. I struggle to control my tongue at times. You know, our words, they simply reveal the, the churning of our hearts. Because what does Jesus say? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what is he saying? If we have black ink in our heart and we're just angry and, you know, there's just junk in there, 
Well, when we open our mouths, what do we expect is going to come out? Like rivers of flowing water? If, if our heart is dark, if, if it's... But if we are, in fact, walking with the Lord and walking in Christ and walking by the Spirit, praise the Lord, at times what's going to come out is rivers of living, life-giving water. And that's, that's what James is saying. He's saying, listen, if, if you say that you're religious, but, but you don't bridle your tongue, and again, none of us do it perfectly, but if you're not bridling your tongue and you, you call yourself a Christian, he's like, if, if it's unbridled, then, then something's wrong here. Something's wrong. Because God has made you in His image and He, he desires that you reflect Him in your speech. You know, sometimes we think we have a get-out-of-jail card when it comes to posting um, stuff online, don't we? I, I think sometimes we can post things or say things online that we wouldn't necessarily say to, to the person or in the, in the flesh because, you know, it might be a little over the edge. And I think sometimes we think we can get away with more when we, when we post it out there because it's not actually coming from our lips. We're not actually saying it. It's just another expression of the temptations that we all face in our world. So whether it's a response on text or something you post on Instagram or what, whatever, like this includes that too. Bridling our digital tongue is part of what he's talking about here. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I would say, for out of the abundance of the heart, the thumbs speak. And so may the Lord help us, dear friends. May the Lord help us. Again, none of us do this perfectly. We're all, we're all in need of the Lord's help. But may the Lord help us to bridle our tongue. I've told you many times, one of my greatest temptations is behind a slow driver. I'm impatient at times. And I think I can get away with scalding the uh, person ahead of me because no one's in the car. You know what? I fell under conviction recently because I said for the nth time, the gas is on the right. And then the Lord just like, you know, would you get over yourself and your speed? So I'm trying to stop. I'm trying to change. Because even if no one hears it, you know what it does? It reveals my heart of impatience. That's what it does. I need the Lord's help. And he wants to give it to us. I think one other thought to, to help us think about this is, is what can help us grow to make this applicable? What can help us grow in our tongues? And what we say is this. Um, when we think about who's in charge of our lives. In other words, submission to Christ will control our tongue. Submission to Christ. What, what I mean by that is this. If, if we are truly submitted to Christ, if we truly believe that, that everything in our lives comes from the hand of God, that He's the one in control, not me, um, we, can, we can endure difficult situations because we know that He's in control. And that tempers the way we think about the situation in that moment. Well, because I was studying this all week, when I was at Lowe's last night and, and you know, waiting for a while, big deal, 20 minutes. Wow, you have such a great pastor. He was patient for 20 minutes. Woohoo! Um, but here's the thing. I was thinking about, like, who's in charge of my life? Is it me or is it the Lord? Is there a situation here at Lowe's that, that God may want me to minister to somebody? You know, and, and speak a, a word that might encourage them or help them. And so, I, because I was meditating on the perfect law this week, it helped me at Lowe's to be patient. Because I want my heart submitted to Christ. Um, listen to the wisdom from a Puritan pastor from the 1600s. I, I think this is really helpful. He says this, True freedom is found when by the Spirit the heart is renewed, is enlarged and becomes subordinate to God in Christ. A man is in a sweet frame when his heart is made, listen, subject to God. He's, his heart is, is subject to God and drawn out toward him 
for the God of grace sets it at liberty. God will have us make his glory our aim, and he will bestow grace and glory too upon us. Do you see what he's saying? If you keep that on the screen for a moment. A man is in a sweet frame when his heart is made subject to God. In other words, Lord, I recognize this is inconvenient. I don't like this, but I'm subject to you and you're in charge. You're in charge of everything. And so as we submit our hearts to Christ in every circumstance, do you see how it can help us? Even with our tongue, when we're tempted in in a variety of ways, we can say, Lord, I'm subject to you. You're in control of all things. And so I'm going to wait. I'm going to speak as you would speak. Or help me, Lord, to speak as you would speak. So, One way to work at gaining control of our tongues is by submitting all of our lives to Christ. Let me me say it a different way. We gain control as we give up control. We gain control of our tongue as we give up control of our lives by remembering who's in charge. That helps me, and I, I pray it helps you as we seek to better and more effectively control our tongue for the glory of God. Second thing we see here, second thing, caring for those in need. Look at verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Orphans and widows were perhaps among the poorest in the Jewish society due to their lack of circumstantial resource to care for themselves. So James uses them as representative of people in need, not intending to limit us just to those two categories of people. What he's saying is, let's be reminded of the character of God. Did God go after people who were in need? Does God do that? Is that his nature? When he sees need, does he just turn a blind eye? Is that the nature of God? No, we know it's not. God's nature is to... To come after us. In fact, he, you know, he sent Jesus Christ into this world. Though we were the ones who had gone astray, though we were the rebel sinners, God came after us. We were the ones in need, and God reached toward us. And he said, so if you love God, um, it's not going to be easy for you to, to see a need and just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not interested. It shouldn't be easy for us to walk away and not help people in need, people of varying circumstances, including people who are widows and people who are orphans. Do you know, in fact, uh, caring for people like widows uh, or orphans, it, it refines our motivation because often folks in those, those categories may not be able to give us something back. Sometimes we help people because uh, there's a reward that we get somehow, some way. Well, these are folks in categories that probably are not going to be able to, to return something to us. And so he's refining our motivation. Love people in need because that's what God does. That's his nature and that's his character. Well, how do we do this? What, what does this look like? I think it begins with seeing, right? It begins with seeing and perceiving the needs because it's amazing to me how I can not see and perceive the needs at times that are right in front of me. I can be blinded because of my own stuff going on. I, uh, you know, I have this to accomplish and I have that to accomplish and I can rush right by a real and vital need. So, so I need to stop and say, Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes that I might see people for who they are and where needs might be. So it begins with seeing. These people that are in need may not be very far away from you. I mean, you might find, if you take the bag to do the new neighbor outreach, you might find that, that though the people have recently moved into a house, they may have real needs. And praise God, we may be the agent that God is sending to that household so that we can help meet a need. I mean, maybe you're going to show up at a house and you see like they never raked their leaves this fall. Well, maybe there's a way that you can show the love of Christ. It may not be ministering to an orphan or a widow, but it might. You never know. 
there are ways. So God, open our eyes. Help us. Help us to see. And then help us to respond in ways that please you. We have, we have wonderful examples in our church family of, of doing this literally with orphans and widows. There's, there's adoptions that have happened over the years in this church. It's so great to, to watch those who would, did not have a family come to reside and be a part of a family. Um, there's, there's all kinds of ways we can be involved in that. Um, we're hoping to have Doug Hayes. He's the one who leads Covenant Mercies. Uh, we're hoping to have him in later this year. Uh, he runs a, a ministry to orphans, specifically in Uganda, Zambia, and Ethiopia. So the needs can be right in front of us. The needs can be far. But let's have hearts that care about those in need because that's what God does. That's what he's like. Third way that he says, okay, you have true religion. You have a heartfelt walk with the Lord. Well, then there's going to be personal holiness. Personal holiness. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So do you see the truth that James is speaking about the world? We can't love the world. And what does the world mean? Well, well everything and everything that opposes God. Any system of thought, any action that opposes what God has said, that's sin. And so he said, you can't love the world without being stained. Things that oppose God stain us. They, they leave a mark. 1 John 2 says this, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. We can't love the world and love God at the same time. We'll either love the one and hate the other, or we'll despise the one and enjoy the other. We can't. It's impossible. Love for the world pushes out love for God. Love for the world pushes out God off His throne. And so he's saying, you know, if we're going to walk in such a way as to reflect God all around us, then we're going to keep ourselves unstained from the world. We're going to keep ourselves from, from that which is profane. We're going to keep ourselves from that which is unholy and unrighteous. God desires His people be holy. You know, one way I, I just struggle at times to find, you know, uh, I'm, I'm like you. Sometimes I just want to sit down and watch a good story in the form of a movie. And it's really hard, is it not, to find movies that you can watch without like, oh man. Um, press on, dear friends. Don't watch stuff that's going to fill your mind with, with junk. Because it says here, Let's keep ourselves unstained from the world. And it's not just movies, it's, it's all kinds of things that bombard us and, and vie for our attention. Keep ourselves unstained from the world. Listen to, listen to Peter, he says this. He's, he's painting a picture here, dear friends. He says this, but you, talking to the church, he said, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is the people of God. The, the people of God are not perfect people um, because we still fall from time to time, but the people of God are a chosen people, a people who have been made right before God, not by their performance, but by the performance of Jesus Christ. And therefore, we're called to this. Dear friends, we're called to holy living. We're called to, to not be stained with the world. We're called to say no and put it aside and toss our computer out the window or our phone or whatever it is that God may call us to do so that by grace we can keep ourselves unstained by the world. Now, here's where the gospel is such great news. Because as we seek to follow God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, 
We will fall from time to time in a variety of ways. And the gospel is so big that it reminds us when we fall and as we repent, as we turn away from that, as we forsake that way and ask God for grace, the gospel reminds us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. So no one should leave here condemned this morning. But I do pray that this word, this word would, would remind us afresh. I need the reminder afresh that by grace, God wants to help me to keep myself unstained from the world. Someone was saying the other day, at times when I look at the world and when I look at the church, I don't see the kind of difference that is alarming anymore. In fact, I see a lot of similarities. And you know, it begins with my heart. That begins with your heart. That we might keep ourselves and be distinct from the world. I'm not talking about dressing funny so people look at us. I'm talking about hearts that are for God. Hearts that are seeking to walk in purity. Hearts that say no to sin and yes to the Holy Spirit. Hearts that, that keep ourselves in the love of God so that He might be seen in our hearts. So I'm going to close our time. I know we've, we've walked through a lot. I want to call the band back up on the stage. And as we do so, let me remind us of where we've been. James begins by saying, don't be just a hearer only, but be a doer of the Word of God. Don't be content to just hear, but actually put feet to that and take action because we don't want to be someone a hearer forgets but one who does and puts faith in action. And as we do so, let me return to that illustration about the business owner who went overseas and he came back. And though he had given lots of words uh, how to run the business, they were read. Those emails were studied. They, they formed a small group around those emails. They even memorized those emails. But apparently, they weren't doing what the emails said. Now, dear friends, we all have ways in which God desires to cause us to grow. And I want to end here to encourage us and ask you, what is one way, one way, that in the hearing of God's word this morning, whether it be through this text or other texts that we've heard this morning, what is one way that God would seek your heart to apply his word this morning? Is it in the realm of your speech? Lord, I need help. Help me. You know what God does when we say that? I'm going to meet you. I'm going to help you. So if that's an area of struggle today, well, let's give it to the Lord and entrust ourselves so that we can receive from Him. Maybe it's, maybe it's a callous heart. You can see someone in need and it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for you. You're, you're not affected by that or certainly not affected into action. Maybe it's your alliance with the world that has caused a stain. Praise the Lord. He comes and He, he can clean us, but you're, you're convicted that you've allowed a stain to remain and, and God wants to help. Know this, my beloved brethren. Let every person be quick to hear Slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed, dear friends, in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but de deceives his heart, 
This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. May God help us now to live it out. May God help us to lock arms with one another, church. And when we get to care group on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, we can share, hey, this is how God's been helping me. Or this is where I'm struggling. Would you pray for me? Dear friends, we're in this together. Let's persevere in faith, knowing that there's a reward in our doing as we take God at his word. Would you stand with me as we seek to pray and then ask for God's help in this way? Lord, we confess our need for you this morning because there's not a person in this building that has full mastery over his heart or her tongue or, or in any of these things. We feel conviction, Lord, and that's from your Spirit because he wants us to take a step toward you and put this faith that we have into action. And so as we forget the past as we apply the gospel to our past and declare that there is no condemnation for all who have trusted in Christ, there's no condemnation. We now, we look forward and we say, Lord, help us to persevere in faith. Give us courage and strength through one another and ultimately through your Holy Spirit that we might follow you and in following you, reflect you to a world that is watching, that needs Christ so desperately. Lord, help us to reflect him. We pray this together. We ask it in Jesus' name.